This episode of iFreeze is brought to you in part by Postcards. Postcards is the simplest way to allow user feedback from right inside your application. With just a simple gesture, anyone testing your app can send you a postcard containing a screenshot of the app and some notes. It's a great way to handle bug reports and feature requests from your client. It takes five minutes to set up, and the first five postcards each month are free. Get started today by visiting www.postcard.es. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to ifreakshow.com slash codeschool. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 66 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Alando Barrington. Hello from North Carolina. The Pete Hodgson. Hello from Alamo Square. I'm James Uber from DevChat. Wait, no, that's not me. <laughs> our, our guest today is Oliver Jones. Oliver, can you tell us a bit about yourself? I'm a Kiwi. And I'm based in Melbourne, and I'm the technical director of Itty Bitty Apps, uh, and we make iOS development tool called Reveal, amongst other things. It's a very cool. This is our second week in a row we've had a Aussie guest. So next week we're going to go for the Aussie turkey. Think we can pull it off? <laughs> you can't call a Kiwi an Aussie. You get oh, it oh, okay. He's, he's living in Australia. Okay. Well, I think yeah. we will. I'm, I'm almost an Aussie. I've been here for 10 years or nearly 10 years. So, and considering becoming a citizen, so I'll, I'll be an adopted Aussie at some point. He's on the fence. Okay. But I'll never give up my support for the All Blacks. You know, the rugby <laughs> union. Very nice. I know what you're talking about. Well, we brought you on the show today to talk about Reveal. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Reveal, for anyone who hasn't spotted it yet, is a development tool for iOS devs. So it's a view introspection and debugging tool. So I kind of explain it to people as uh, the iOS equivalent of Chrome Inspector or Firebug. So you can drop a, a library in your application or through some extra wizardry in Xcode, set up breakpoints to inject the library dynamically, uh, and then you can connect your app using... Macintosh desktop app and see the insides of your view hierarchy and uh, expand it all out and view all of the attributes and tweak them and change things and see how your app reacts to those changes. This is a very different approach from how I've kind of done this in the past. Usually we hire a shaman and they come in and like burn incense and things and we all do a dance <laughs> and that kind of tells us what we need to know. But this seems like a more reasonable approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Reveal is kind of a self-service shaman. Yeah, it's there, I mean, it's called Reveal to reveal the insides of your app, you know, and so it's like a, you can look deep inside your app and give it a good poke around and uh, potentially, well, hopefully, find a, the bug or problem that you are trying to, you know, discover and, and eradicate. Very, so, um, it's very addictive, very addictive watching this video. video. Oh, sorry, I'm on the, sorry, I'm the on Reveal the app homepage, homepage and uh, you can see the... You know, the little video on the on the homepage shows you kind of cruising through an application, and it's very, yeah, very addictive. I don't know, it just looks really cool. It looks like super fun. I can imagine getting lost in my application for a while. So, Oliver, I'm really curious because I've, I've used Reveal, and I really like it, and I was curious about the, sort of the history behind the development of the tool. At what point did you hit some sort of frustration and decide, well, this would be a, a great thing to do either in-house or then, and then subsequently deciding to release it to other people? Right, yeah, so... Uh, Reveal was first postulated between myself and the director of Itty Bitty Apps, uh, Sean Woodhouse, when we were on a United flight to Dub Dub in 2011. I think it was 2011. 
or 2010, oh, I forget exactly when. But uh, yeah, so we were just talking about, you know, problems in iOS development and tooling. And prior to uh, doing iOS development, I was involved in the video game industry on the tools side. So I worked in an Australian studio uh, developing content creation tools uh, for level designers. And I was just essentially discussing that sort of, those sorts of tools with Sean and, and how, in some respects, games aren't made by games programmers. I mean, the games programmers are definitely involved, particularly engine programmers and gameplay programmers. But most of the video games you see in the world today, in general, predominantly created by designers and artists. And however, on the iOS side of things, it's uh, very heavy on programming. So your designers hand over your screens and or your screen designs, and then you know your coder makes it look like the screen design, you know, the PSD or or whatever they've been given. And it's that's so entirely backwards to other content-heavy uh, industries or design-heavy industries, from movies to games development, where it's predominantly content creators. So I guess Reveal started off as a, a much broader, bigger idea a more design-focused idea, and it sort of got MVP'd down to the bare minimum of what we thought would be useful, uh, which is more sort of introspection and real-time twiddling to sort of see changes in, in, in real time and uh, give the developer feedback so that they can more quickly iterate on solving problems or tweaking visual layout in their app. So, I mean, that was really the, the genesis of it, and... And we just it kind of put up big, like Itty Bitty Apps is not just an app development company. We do consulting, as I was telling you guys earlier. I was working with your last week's guest. Well, I work with your last week's guest, Stu Glitter, a consultant contractor. Uh, and so our, our business is sort of half and half product development and uh, consulting. And so for a long time, Reveal kind of got backburnered because there wasn't enough resources to, to develop it as uh, all of them were consulting. But as resources became available, we started developing Reveal as a product. And that really happened last, not last at DubDub, but the DubDub before. We, we sort of started in earnest about six months or, or maybe nine months before that to prototype and start development of Reveal. Uh, and then it was announced and put it into beta in to just before DubDub 2013 uh, and then put on sale for the 1.0 release in October of that year. It definitely looks like a lot of love has gone into this thing. It looks like a lot of hours have been put into like the, all of the little, the way that all of the layout stuff on the right-hand side is, uh, you haven't just got a, like a list of you know things that you can edit. It's all, it feels like a design tool that you could use to, to do design. And I think you, you were saying that that's kind of in the MVP that got squeezed out a little bit. But do you see people, are there reveal users today that are kind of designers that are using it to tweak designs and kind of collaborate with devs? Or is it mainly devs using it to debug things? Or a bit of both, maybe? I think probably our, uh, our main user base is developers. I, I don't know of too many designers. We certainly put it in front of designers and, and designers have contributed to the app. It's funny you say that we've kind of designed the, the, the inspection panels and stuff. I think that's probably one area where we're improving the app the most in the next upcoming uh, edition, sort of a 1.1 release coming soon, because the current one is a little bit undesigned. <laughs> it's more of an alphabetical list of properties. But uh, there are definitely a lot of blood, sweat, and tears have gone into into reveal, um, and a whole lot of swearing as well. <laughs> it's it's a swearing-powered development. 
mainly because AppKit is like we we were predominantly iOS developers, and this is kind of our first app for the Mac, and uh, so our first app kit app kit uh, application. And AppKit is not UIKit, um, and customizing it is a, a real bitch. And uh, so it's we specifically put a lot of effort into trying to make the app attractive and and look professional, and not just something we throw over the fence. Uh, yeah, definitely a lot of pain. Uh, and, and effort to go into that, and also just trying to trying to figure out what the best user experience was. Like we we did a lot of prototyping and internally and and testing and trying to figure out what uh, how these the user interactions for you know zooming in on particular components and being able to navigate around your view hierarchy and so on. How that all works. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of uh, sort of trial and error in that area. So what are some of the common use cases that people are using Reveal for? Uh, well, a lot of the time it's like, where's my view? You know, why can't I see my view that's, I put a button in the nav bar and I can't see it. Like, why, why is it not there? If your app is built to uh, include reveal by default in debug builds or something, or you have some of our scripts and things we've posted on our blog about how to integrate it with Xcode without linking it to your app. If you, you just fire it, reveal, you know, connect to your app, hit refresh or whatever and, uh, navigate to that part of the, the view hierarchy spot the view that's at zero pixels in size or whatever and and then you're like ah oh, that's right i've got a size to fit my custom you know ui view inside my ui tab bar item before it'll show up or something you know so it's it's kind of solving those kind of head little head scratches you have on a day-to-day basis or or maybe you know you're you're trying to figure out like why is you know why is my app slow and then you you load up reveal and you're like oh shit i've got all these hidden views in, in my or I've got all these you know views off screen or I've I've accidentally adding a view over and over and over and over and over and over again to the view hierarchy and it's just stacking on top and I can't see that because in 2D it's just looks like it would normally. You know, there's there, those sorts of things. We constantly see, you know, people tweet that sort of thing, you know, oh this you know reveal saved me an hour today just you know instantly or trying to figure out what some little little bug was. So that, that's definitely the sort of predominant use case. I think there are other people, I mean, myself included, who I'll just want to just tweak something. I'll go, I'll say, okay, well, what, what do the content insets of this particular button need to be to align the image and the label together? You know, like your button has like a whole bunch of sets of insets and you, you just want to be able to twiddle with them a little bit to just line something up and then write down the numbers and then go back to your code and type the numbers into some part of code or something like that. You know, those sorts of things. And, and, it, Probably the biggest feature we're introducing in, in 1.1, which is um, coming soon, uh, is auto layout inspection. So we've got you know, visualization of all the constraints and what have you. So people who are on the beta there are you know, happily discovering all sorts of craziness with their UI layout constraints and so on. Is that going to have full editing capability as well for the for auto layout? Uh, not full editing. You'll be able to tweak the constant because that's the only variable that you can tweak on um, on NS layout constraint. Yeah, unfortunately, layout constraints in auto layout on Mac and, and iOS are pretty much immutable. Once they're constructed, you can't do anything else with them. You can add additional constraints, you can remove constraints, but we don't expose that facility in reveal. You can just explore your existing constraint system and you can tweak uh, constants to move things around. So you'll be able to, if your constraints are set up in a way that changing the constant value moves things around, then your views will move around and relay out. So it's, uh, it is definitely tweakable, but it's not a full editing, like IB style editing system. Gotcha. That's so you talked a little bit. Talk- Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, that talks a little bit about auto layout. I'm just trying to imagine 
kind of the classic way of debugging your views. A lot of times you're in your LLDB console, printing out the list of subviews, trying to cast your CG rec to make sure you see the frames, things like that. It's a real pain, but it sounds like Reveal is a much improved way of kind of going through that, trying to figure out what's actually happening, especially if you're building up kind of your view hierarchy in code or doing it dynamically. You get a bunch of things happening that you don't know, and it's hard to kind of trace through what's happened if it doesn't come out right. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, code-based. Yeah, if you're not using IB, and and well, a bit of history, the, the, some of the projects that Itty Apps has worked on are pretty old code bases. Like some of the companies that we work with have had apps in the App Store pretty much almost since day one um, or close to. And so we've been working on code that's evolved from like iOS 3. And back then, a lot of people, and to, to this day even, um, a lot of developers are kind of code first, right? They prefer to use code to create view hierarchies and so on. And and it, when you do that, often you'll create a lot of subclasses, a lot of um, UIV subclasses. And, and and in a very complicated app or an app that's code-based, often you it's kind of difficult to know, like, well, where does this particular piece of UI come from? And if you say, for example, you know, the product manager has come to you and says, hey, we need to tweak this thing or whatever. And so you can load up, reveal, inspect your view hierarchy with that piece of UI on screen, look at it, click on it, see in the outline view, oh, that's, you know, my custom layout view, something or other. You know, it gives you the class name to go looking and to change it. So it's definitely sort of code-oriented inspection can be helpful in that way and in some respects in like discovering a code base or discovering a user interface that you're not familiar with, like how the code is putting it together. It's interesting you say you can see the kind of end result of what happened after kind of all the initialization because I run into a lot of older apps that definitely were in were designed, developed, or in, using the kind of the code first thing. So you're building up all these different views, and it's nice to be able to. It would be nice to be able to see kind of the end result and kind of trace backwards to see what the, the actual method calls and subclasses are doing. So that's very cool. That could save me some time. Yeah, it's it's definitely useful for doing that sort of stuff. It's not quite as useful when you're. I mean, using custom UI view subclasses, that's that can be really uh, useful to identify like where something comes from. So a little bit more difficult when you're just using the sort of stock standard controls, but it is definitely like a, um, especially if you aren't using IB or you are using a mix of IB and code, you have to sort of see the final result of like, oh, okay, this, that's what happens after load view and this is the structure of the user interface. It's, it's definitely a good sort of discovery tool um, when you're new to a code base. So we see like some of our consultants, you know, if they, they'll come on and off a project and project will have changed. So they'll, you know, just as a sort of learning process, when they go onto a particular card or something to implement a feature, they'll just sort of load up, reveal, have an, a look at the state of the user interface and sort of say, okay, that's that subview. And, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a cool yeah, user interface discovery tool. I want to ask a little bit about uh, this feature of reveal that, that was announced, I guess, fairly recently, but I think is really neat is the app code integration. I guess, well, first of all, tell us about the app code integration. <laughs> right, well, the guys at JetBrains know me in some respects because I'm a pretty vocal advocate of app code. And I've done CocoHead's talks on the subject and repeatedly ranted about Xcode and um, promoted app code on the Twitters. And so they approached us basically with an interest in integrating with the reveal. And they did all the hard work, really, um, because we're not Java coders. They they have a Java-based IDE, and so they implemented the plugin side of things and figured out how to get it working on their end. And all we had to do was kind of make their job easier. And that's what I, I did. Actually, we the way it works is 
I mean, the plugin is open source. You can have a look at it on their GitHub uh, repository. So basically, it's just, uh, what does it do? Okay, so the first thing it does is it basically launches your app and it finds our, if, we, if you installed Reveal and you've turned on the integration in your project settings, when you launch uh, your application, it will automatically inject our dynamic library. So we ship a, a Dilib, which is a sort of fat binary that works on both iOS and on ARM, so on device and on the simulator. And so they just automatically inject that. And it's very easy in the simulator. You can just do it with um, some environment variables. It'll just load the library in. But on the device, it's a little bit more difficult. The Dilib has to be code signed and uh, it also has to then be injected using debugger commands. But AppCo basically sort of scripts that process of uploading the binary onto the device or injecting it on the simulator and so on uh, and doing the code sign based on your credentials that are configured in your project. And then the sort of final step of the process is basically to tell Reveal, hey, you should go looking for an application with this bundle identifier on the network or on the loopback for a simulator. Uh, and all we did for Reveal to support that was um, in the last release of Reveal 1.0.4, uh, we added some simple AppleScript support. So using an AppleScript command, uh, you can just essentially say, hey, Reveal, go refresh this host name uh, with the, uh, looking for this Apple, this, sorry, this uh, bundle identifier. Uh, and it tries to use this bonjour. So Reveal uses bonjour to advertise applications that are running on devices or in the simulator. It just essentially just sort of waits for the bonjour to resolve with that particular application and then initiates a refresh immediately. It's kind of a simple process. It's not perfect. It's not completely fault tolerant, but or there's a few issues of like timeouts and things that can happen. And, but on the, in the ninety percent case, it works pretty well. When I first saw this, what I thought was really impressive is, and I, I think so. You're being very modest and saying it's kind of pretty simple stuff, but maybe for some developers, this this isn't stuff that they they know about day to day. But I think the thing that really surprised me that you could even do it is injecting code dynamically into a running application on the device because there's, you know, there's supposed to be all of these security things and various other things, but I guess the secret is in the code signing, it sounds like. Yeah, the code signing is important for the device side of things. I'm, well, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it only works when your app is in, is attached to the debugger. I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can, at least on iOS 7 anyway, um, and, and below, I don't think you can, you know, deal load or deal open a dialib if you're not connected to a debugger. I'm not 100% sure on that. I've got to point out that Reveal is not a, the product of a single man's brain. Um, it's been a real team effort. And while I, I certainly was sort of leading development for the, the majority of 1.0, my main focus was on the user interface, in particular the sort of app kits, all of the widgets and UI controls and the theming and everything, and on the actual library side of the capturing of the information. Uh, another major contributor, and we wouldn't have been able to ship Reveal without him, is uh, Chris Miles. He did a lot of work on the 3D sort of visualization, which is sort of our, our wow feature. Uh, he also did quite a little bit of the sort of low-level you know, experimentation and, and prototyping for things like you know, dynamic loading of our, our library and, and also um, sort of our image capturing tech. So... Yeah, it's been a real, real collaboration, and and now even more so. There's, if you go check out the about screen on our in the app, it's got quite a list of developers and designers. We've had a lot of help in in small and large ways from a variety of different people, our own employees, and other third parties. 
So you mentioned the screen capturing tech. Do you want to kind of go into a little bit of the detail of how that magic works? Or I guess maybe not. Obviously, it's not. I'm assuming it's not actual magic. But how do you get all of these little bits of UI out of the application? Well, actually, I mean, actually, to start with, how does the running application even talk to uh, Reveal? Is it running a little HTTP server in there, or is it yeah, some other? Yeah, we, we went with the simplest and dumbest thing that worked to begin with, and that was, yeah, to set up a little HTTP server. And uh, we're just using Cocoa HTTP server and GCD async socket under the hood. Uh, and, yeah, just it's a good, kind of little RESTful API that spits JSON over the wire. And that was literally the dumbest thing that would work, or the simplest thing that would work at the time. And we're probably outgrowing it. It's becoming a bottleneck. It's um, as, as applications are growing in complexity, particularly iPad apps, the fact that we're serializing JSON and very large chunks of JSON of that is becoming a problem. So I would imagine for 2.0 that we'd move away from that style of networking. But it does make debugging it and, and figuring it out at the command line pretty easy. So it's there's sort of a double-edged sword of moving away from that would be that's going to make sort of solving some of our network support issues maybe a bit, a bit harder. So what do you, you, yeah, would you, you go to, like, protobuffers or something like that? Yeah, we haven't decided yet. Uh, we've done some experimentation, but it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, a thing to happen uh, in the future. But, yeah, protobuffs definitely high up on the list of considerations. It may end up just being a custom binary serialization, but I, I doubt very much that it will remain a request-response sort of HTTP-style API. Okay, so conceptually, you're linking in your iOS app, kind of a HTTP client that's just spinning up data to the server, which is running in Reveal. Does that sound about right? Sound about right? Yeah, it's actually the other way around. The, the device runs the server, and Reveal is the client. So basically, yeah, starts this, your, your app starts a little server, advertises it by Bonjour, and then Reveal discovers that and then can connect to it uh, and request data. And so when the uh, when Reveal, the client, as the client here, the, the Reveal application wants to display the, the view hierarchy. Is it just downloading? Is that all in JSON? Or I guess it can't, the images can't be in JSON, right? Yeah, so the, it hits a you know, particular REST URL you know, and uh, makes a GET request for, for the application state. And we serialize, we walk the, starting at UI application, we sort of walk down the object graph, serializing all of the attributes that, that we were interested in into a data structure and then convert, you know, use NSJSON serializer basically to turn that into JSON and spit it out over the socket. And, for, you know, for optimization and stuff, we do a little bit of compression and, and a few other things. But that's essentially the main blob of data that Reveal consumes. And then given information in that JSON, as we decode it, we then go back to the Reveal server running on the device or the simulator and ask it for images corresponding to views and layers. So it's sort of a two-stage process. It can lead to slight inconsistencies, which is a little bit... Annoys me. It probably probably no one notices, but yeah, you can if you capture like mid animation or something, your your uh, your view state will differ from maybe the view image and stuff like that. And we we're capturing multiple images for every view because we we need this sort of a composited view and also a, a, an uncomposited view to do the three D visualization properly. So yeah, we're grabbing a whole swag of data on I, on iPad apps over the over Wi Fi. It can get real slow sometimes, which is. Again, one of our things we want to correct in a sort of a 2.0 is to make it make it faster, make it more consistent, make it, yeah, just make it better. <laughs> 2.0 is always make it better. That's cool. Maybe, can you talk to us a little bit about the process for including this in your app? You talked a little bit about linking in for a debug only. 
Is that how you recommend doing this? Yeah, well, that's it. That's our kind of when you load up a reveal for the first time, we kind of have a getting started window and we link to, um, I encourage people to getting started guide. And the getting started guide, guide basically talks about, you know, going to the help menu and showing the frameworks directory from inside the app bundle and you can drag and drop the framework, we sort of static library framework we packaged up with reveal. You can just drag and drop that into your application and you can then tweak a, a couple of you know, linker variables and what have you, linker options, and uh, and away you go. And that's kind of, we thought, the simplest way to sort of get people up and running. But ironically, people still have problems with that, just getting it to work with their particular set of dependencies or or what have you. Um, sometimes adding the linker options, we, we suggest people add, reveals uh, problems in their project, their own linker problems, like they're double linking to a, the Facebook API or something like we have, We've definitely, it's been a support problem. So as we have ourselves become more adept at, at figuring out ways of linking or getting our library into applications, we've published blog posts and, and details about how to do it uh, in different ways. So we always shipped a dialib as well as a static library framework, mainly because Chris Miles, who I mentioned earlier, he started doing it in debug. Yeah, he started injecting the library sort of to help him speed up his own testing process. And we thought that was pretty cool, but we never really sort of published it as a kind of, initially anyway, we never sort of made it official way of doing it. But since then, yeah, we've published some articles in our blog that kind of describe how to do it. And I think maybe in 1.1 we'll be making it more of the official way of integrating in our documentation. Or certainly calling it out as being a sort of a better technique. Because you can just do it with it like a you can just add some debugger commands to a debug breakpoint on uh, in Xcode and just it'll load up your library pretty much. Or even even simpler, you can now just add a scheme environment variable. Like if you just chuck in deal load or deal DLYD underscore insert underscore libraries or something like that. I, I wrote a, again, I wrote a blog post about how to do it. It becomes trivial then. It's just like change schemes. Like you can make a, you could duplicate a scheme, add that environment variable to that scheme and then just switch your schemes and hit run and the library's auto loaded into your app by um, the you know, dynamic loader uh, if you're running in the simulator. It does restrict you to just, you know, using the simulator. You, it's a little bit more complicated to do the dynamic link loading on device but that requires you to have in xcode if you're not using app code that sort of does it all automatically for you in xcode you have to uh, basically add the dialib as a resource so it copies the dialib into your resource bundle or into the resources of your app and then you can trigger a breakpoint command to execute the dl open uh, system call to open it up then it'll be injected at runtime but yeah, if you're just using simulator, I mean, I, I, I mean, personally, I run the simulator like 90% of the time when I'm doing app development. So it's only on those sort of rare occasions that I need to actually see something on device, especially when it view, view code. Obviously, device is really important if you're doing sort of device specific things like motion or, or stuff. But for UI inspection, it's, you know, simulator all the way most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I can yeah. imagine if you're debugging your UI, then you're probably like flipping around between different sizes of iPhone or different iPad things and you're, you're not yep, going to be totally. plugging in and plugging out different devices, right? So it makes sense that you'd be doing most of that in the simulator anyway. Yeah, no, it's definitely kind of the majority use case, I think. So I can definitely empathize with the trying to figure out how to make it easy to get this stuff integrated into Xcode. So I'm like the... I created this open source library that does test automation and it, and again, it needs to be linked into people's applications and 
I have gone through multiple multiple iterations of trying to make it easy for people to get started with it because it's it's also it's their first experience of this of the product right is trying to get it into their application and if that first experience is less than friction free then the odds of them just giving up and deciding not to use it is pretty high so I've tried all sorts of things to try and make it easier yeah no we we have that same issue right well, reveals a commercial product right we're asking for people's money and if we don't make it super simple for them to get it up get it up and running in their application uh, less likely to pay for it so is there a CocoaPods integration uh, yeah we do actually yeah we provided a CocoaPods integration as well so yeah that makes it a bit simpler to do the static linking approach yeah you just yeah. add the CocoaPod Coco to your pod file and it should just work fingers crossed you know linking you know development's never perfect right so there's even even when you try and make it so simple or, or foolproof there's always going to be that special case someone's got something slightly different yeah, I'm not surprised you have trouble onboarding people because I think the just by experience, I think the typical way people get their Xcode projects set up is to have their sales teams randomly clicking build settings to all compiles. Right? <laughs> just by experience, I'm not, I have no other explanation for how these build settings come about. Yeah, no, I, I give people more credit than that, but yeah, yeah, it's it, it is a tricky thing. Like, there's the other thing is that there's so many developers of different experience levels, right? I mean, I've been doing sort of C oriented development for you know, well, an iOS for the last five years and prior to that, you know, maybe 10 years. So it's, you kind of learn these things, you know, you're used to it. But then there's a lot of people who have come to iOS as new programmers um, or, you know, from web technology and stuff. And they're just not used to the sort of idiosyncrasies of old C style, you know, linking and all the rest of it. So it's, um, you know, something throws up a, it throws a spanner in the works and then it's, you know, their day's ruined because they don't really know how to deal with it. Or, you know, it's a, furious amount of googling and stack overflowing so it's just such a broad array of developers out there you have to try and make it as easy for everyone and the experienced developers appreciate that as well right because you know you're saving them time because they can just throw it in and away it works and if they do have a minor problem they can probably solve it really quickly themselves but uh, other less experienced or less familiar developers it can be a bit of a problem i learned a new phrase over the weekend i am a full stack overflow developer I just <laughs> <laughs> that's really good, man. That's all of us, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it's the it's the real full stack overflow developers that are just like so something doesn't work in Xcode, they keep following Stack Overflow answers until it works, and then kind of rinse and repeat, and then eventually they've got one of those Xcode configurations that you've seen, James, where like it's there's 14 different schemes, and they all have different. I don't know, whatever. It's a bit. It's a big old mess, and then they try and add an extra thing, and it's even worse, and it just goes downhill. That's yeah, beware of the Stack Overflow responses from 09. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing as well, right? Like something that was totally relevant with Xcode 4.2 isn't necessarily going to help you today. Absolutely. I copped to being a, um, a Stack Overflow developer. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, but even today, I was, you know, I'm doing something with Core Data, and I'm like, oh, I'm not too familiar with this API. Could read the documentation, or I could just type some keywords into Google, <laughs> <laughs> and and probably have the answer in about thirty seconds. You know, like it, Google's indexing and Stack Overflow's treasure trove of, of <laughs> solutions is is too tempting. I think it's quite depressing that now I've got to the point that I find the answer in Stack Overflow totally, or I find the question, don't even bother reading the question, just scroll down to like the top rated answer, and then don't even bother reading the answer, just look for some code and just copy and paste it and see what will happen. <laughs> I'm a professional. I think the yeah. main value of experience in this industry has become realizing when the Stack Overflow answer isn't the right one. If you can yeah. say, yeah. this is the wrong way to do it. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
So, Oliver, I had a question about I was being at the at the uh, this year's Dub Dub and hearing the announcement of Xcode Six with VD bugging being included. What that means for reveal? Does that impact your plans for the product moving forward at all, or or what? It does a little bit, obviously. I mean, we you know the worst five minutes of a keynote ever for us. But you know, after a while of this sort of frustration of like, oh great that you know certain elements of our product have been Sherlocked by Apple. Um, we also then just sort of went, no, wait a minute. Our vision for what reveal is greater than this. Like it's not like view debugging is just one aspect of things. And, and yes, that's our MVP and that's what we put in 1.0. And, you know, Apple was obviously validating that this is actually a useful thing to have. And fortunately for us, Apple 1.0, Apple's general history with 1.0 products is they're kind of a bit rubbish. And to be honest, that's the case in, in view debugging and in, in Xcode 6, at least of the current betas, it's a bit rubbish. So. I'm sure Apple will improve it, and there's probably loads of radars being filed about it. And they'll, it's just a question for us is like, how good do they make the 1.0 of view debugging that they ship with Xcode 6? And at this current stage, our app, for certain aspects of our, um, of the process, uh, reveal is better. For other things at the moment, Xcode's uh, integration has some features that we don't. Um, at the moment, you can see constraints and such like. Um, you can also inspect Mac apps, which you can't do with Reveal. It's limited to iOS only. And so, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's given us a bit of a kind of a shove up the bum saying, you know, get on with it. You know, make Reveal the kick-ass, you know, Uber inspector that you have in your heads and on the product backlog, you know. So it's, it's definitely given us a bit of an injection of, I don't know, urgency maybe. I don't know if urgency is the right word, but it's definitely like made us like not complacent. We've got to show people why they need to spend the 80 bucks for a personal license. And, and yeah, so, and people still are paying, you know, even with Xcode 6, people are still spending the 80 bucks. So that's at least validation for us to know that we're doing something worthwhile, that people are still interested in the product, even with app code, oh, sorry, with Xcode coming along with essentially a competing feature. But no, it's, it's, yeah, reveals, reveals just really what we're doing at the moment is really the tip of the iceberg for us in our product vision. So, yeah, we can go in all sorts of different directions and make this sort of the premier, one of the premier debugging tools for iOS devs. And Sean's got a really good blog post on the Itty Bitty Apps blog. It kind of says a lot of that stuff of this kind of game on post. I think it's, I think it's a good reaction to being Sherlocked. I think it's the only, only positive really reaction you can have to being Sherlocked is like, thank you for validating that what we're doing is good. We're going to be better than you. Yeah, yeah. It's at least like, so we know... You know, developers who've been Sherlocked to the extent where Apple has made their products impossible by changing APIs or, you know, adding features or changing the nature of, you know, the macOS operating system or something like that. So we're, we're not in that sort of situation and, and we definitely think Reveal has many advantages over, over view debugging. Um, this built into Xcode. So yeah, it's just, it is like, yeah, Sean's post was really great. It was just sort of, yeah, okay, game on. Fair enough. Like, Sure. Watch out for version two. So, uh, yeah, and even version 1.1. If you're just trying to stay ahead of Apple's developer tools, I think you can make a reasonable business case out of that. You know, that's what JetBrains does. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's not a, like, yeah, people will say, Oh, it's impossible to compete with free. You know, I've tried like Will Shipley actually was having a chat with Sean on Twitter about it, about saying, Oh, you know, I've tried that. I think it was reference to OmniWeb, but yeah, a company like JetBrains is sort of proof of the pudding, right? They're, Essentially competing with a free product, Xcode. Xcode's pretty good. It's certainly all you need to do iOS dev, but there are some killer features in AppCode that 
I personally as a developer wouldn't want to live it out. So I'm perfectly happy to pay the hundred bucks or hundred plus fifty a year that it costs me to maintain a subscription to AppCode. And I get out for the benefit of, you know, as a benefit of that, not only do I get an awesome features of that product, uh, I also get a direct line to their developers through their bug reporting tool and feature it so I can request features. I can, you know, they're, they're really communicative. As a small independent software developer, you can be, you, you're much more attentive to your consumers or your customers. So you feel like, you know, you've got an almost personal relationship with them. Like, like when you file a support request for AppCode, you're getting the developers who work on the features responding to you. It's the same with at Reveal. When you file a bug or a support request, through our support system, you're talking to the guys who wrote the app. And so any feedback you supply about how you use the app and what features you love or want, that all goes into the bucket, right, you know, of potential, you know, feature ideas and, and future work. Uh, and, you know, we do our best to solve your problems as a developer of, like, about using our product. So it's, it's a much, whereas, you know, as everyone knows, the only way to communicate with Apple seems to be through dev forums or radar and radar is a you know the hole where good ideas go to die <laughs> yeah or you go to dub dub and then you get some direct sort of interactions but you know it's, it's harder and harder to go to dub dub so the vast majority of us are stuck with dev forums and, and radar yeah there's definitely space i think for for really good third-party development tools and that's where we want where we want to be with it so i want to, I want to um, take a little diversion and ask a little bit about accessibility so I haven't personally used Reveal. I have watched the video, but uh, that's about it. Is there use cases where I could use Reveal to kind of validate the accessibility API? I mean, beyond... I I guess you can mess with the accessibility properties. I knew you were going to ask this, Pete. Yeah. You're not the only person who wants to have, uh, like, an accessibility element hierarchy or inspector. Yeah, we haven't got that at the moment. You can twiddle with the accessibility uh, label and attributes and stuff like that on each view, but we don't currently expose the accessibility element uh, hierarchy. It's something that's, again, in that bucket and the backlog that may, may or may not get into version 2. Yeah, it's, it, we know, like, from a, you, you're obviously interested in that from, like, for using Frank cause, and for testing purposes and so on for Cucumber and what have you. Yeah, um, well, yeah, because it's, well, yeah, it's interesting. I've actually I've, I've I've talked with people who didn't use Frank for... They're using something else, like... I like Kif or one of the other kind of tools out there for writing the tests, but they used to use Frank just for uh, Symbiote, which is like a really crappy version of Reveal, like a 0.01 release of Reveal maybe. And nowadays when I hear people saying, oh, I'm using, I use Symbiote, I just say, oh, we'll just use something better, use use Reveal instead. I think maybe now the because Xcode, the runtime view debugging is maybe enough for that purpose, but I guess that is definitely why I'm interested is because some people use this for not just for debugging their UI, but also for figuring out the hierarchy of the UI, especially uh, QAs. So someone who's a test automation engineer or whatever their job title is, that they don't actually work on the code directly, but they want to be able to see the view hierarchy so that they can automate tests that manipulate that view hierarchy or access that view hierarchy. It's a very useful thing to be able to mess with all the accessibility stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's, it is definitely one of those use cases that, that we'd like to support better. It's just a matter of, it's been ma- purely up to this point, it's been a matter of prioritization. Sure. So yeah, I would really like to start exposing a whole lot more data. Um, and accessibility is just one of those additional sort of points of data. So yeah, it's, it's definitely on the roadmap, but where, when it comes is, is kind of up to, 
priorities and, and time available. Sure, makes makes sense if you guys have got a lot of things on your plate. If there are tester automation engineers who are using Reveal who would like this feature to be more prominent, then just voice, you know, raise your voices. Like we need to know more about it. I've met a couple of other developers in person who you know definitely want that and have asked personally for that. But you know, two voices in the crowd doesn't necessarily make enough of a case for it to raise the priority. But if there are more out there who are using it or using Reveal who would want to use Reveal for that sort of purpose, then we need to hear about it. So another random question. I've been writing down my list of questions. Cross-process UIs, so like the XPC stuff that Apple added a couple of releases ago, I think, where, you know, like if you open up the emails, the email compose thing or something, then it will actually be running in a separate process. Is that something that Reveal can somehow get into to show the hierarchy, or is that that kind of... Does it just have to stop at the point that you're into a, a UI that's running in a different process? Yeah, UI Revoke View Controller, that would be a dark art to figure out how to do that. Yeah, yeah. That would be great, but yeah, that one is jumping through yeah, the XPC and, and cross-process inspection. That, that would be very tricky to do or to pull off without some sort of you know multi-process injection or something. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, we... <laughs> How easy that would be to pull off, I'm not sure. We obviously, because our library's in the wild, people have been using it and jailbreaking and um, and stuff to throw it into other apps because you can inject it dynamically using the dynamic loader, dynamic library loader. People have been doing that with jailbroken devices and inspecting Apple applications and such like. So while we don't officially support that sort of behavior, it's certainly something that's not impossible. So yeah, that would be an interesting technical exercise. It's fun for someone to try. So another random question. I'm a little curious on how you got your company kind of on board develop, developing a product. A lot of consultancies, you know, small shops get together with the idea of like, yeah, we'll do some consulting and we'll build a product on the side. And in most cases, it doesn't work. They never actually get anything done. They're too busy with client work. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about how you got that to happen? Well, I guess, I mean, Sean is probably the better person to ask those sorts of questions. But from my perspective, I think it was just, we wanted to do it and we had the resource at the time. So it was, it was kind of like an opportunistic thing. We had a resource available. He was on a consulting gig for a couple of months and he started prototyping. Uh, and we had something running fairly quickly. So it was then a kind of like, Oh, this is how much further can we push this? And so it then became a kind of a priority there where we had enough available capacity and capital to invest in it. So. Yeah, it was kind of something we, you know, as I said, we we started thinking about it quite a while ago and started talking about it, discussing it, but nothing really happened until we sort of serendipitously we had an opportunity to prototype something. And then uh, once we had a prototype running, we were like, oh, this needs to be a product. Yeah. It became useful almost immediately, basically. So even without our own consulting. Okay, so you had kind of the owner. Was it an employee that did the prototype? Someone you kind of had yeah, on staff already? Yeah, it was one of us. Uh, he's now a senior programmer company but at the time he was one of the mid-level engineers yeah he started the prototyping phase yeah it was kind of luck and good fortune and and then it scratched our itch and and found use like within the company we started using it to sort of deal with client projects yeah mm-hmm. it's always good if you can dog food the product you're building yeah i know we definitely dog food it our like consultants who are on site at, at our clients are using it all the time so that sounds cool. Anything else you want to say about Reveal before we get to the picks? 
we're betaing a 1.1 release, which will be a free uh, upgrade to all existing customers, uh, and it'll be bringing things like an improved user interface and UI auto layout inspection, uh, amongst other things. Very cool. All right, let's get to the picks. The Pete. I feel like I get picked first a lot. My first pick is nothing to do with iOS development. It's uh, to do with JavaScript development. I recently picked up a book called Effective JavaScript, written by someone at Mozilla whose name I can't remember. And I kind of ended up consuming the whole thing in like a weekend. It was, it's a really, really awesome read. It's now going to be my required reading for anyone who wants to kind of get good at JavaScript development, move past just the basics of kind of doing stuff into turning into kind of a proficient JavaScript developer. So if you do stuff other than just iOS development and you do JavaScript, then I very, very highly recommend Effective JavaScript. And I haven't done a beer pick for a really long time, and I was racking my brain trying to think of new beers that I've had recently, and I couldn't think of anything that stands out. So I'm going to go with an an oldie but a goldie, uh, Damnation by Russian River. Russian River make really, really amazing Belgian-style beers. They make Pliny the Elder, like they're very famous for this IPA that they make, but um, they also, I think, are even better at making Belgian-style beers. And Damnation is kind of a classic, I don't know, like a golden ale or a triple or something like that. It's really, really good, and it comes in a little bottle, so you can have it and not get drunk. And that's it. Okay, Alando. I have two picks this week. Uh, My first pick is uh, my new mic, uh, which I hope is noticeable. I picked up the Blue Snowball mic. And I am loving the improved sound quality. It's a great mic. It's not terribly expensive. I picked it up at a local music shop. And uh, so far, so great. My second pick is, like Pete, I hadn't picked a beer in a while. And I went out and had a local beer from a brewery in Raleigh, North Carolina called Big Boss. And it's the Big Boss Bad Penny. And it is an excellent brew. I was celebrating converting one more relative away from using Windows. And I got them a, a MacBook Air. I mean, Mac Air, and uh, so it's one less machine I have to support. So it's a delicious uh, ale, and I think if you can find it, you would really enjoy it. Those are my two picks. Very nice. Yeah, I'm using the Snowball, too. Pete, do you have use a Snowball? Uh, I do, although now I'm really scared because the USB thing at the back is starting to come loose, so I might not have a Snowball for much longer. <laughs> Watch out. Yeah. I, just keep, I just keep mine plugged into my Thunderbolt display, but so my USB is good. My picks ran across... Uh, Ennis Hipster article from last week, he's talking about kind of the unit testing. But one really cool takeaway from that is he's talking about how do we do mocks with Swift because we don't have all the runtime trickiness that kind of OC mock and all those different frameworks use. But one cool feature of Swift he mentioned in the article is that it's very lightweight to create a subclass for a class. So it's easier to just create a new class on the fly, inline in the function, and override the method that you want to stub out. And that's what a lot of the purists are saying we should do anyway, you know, subclass it and explicitly create your stubs versus a big old mocking framework, which you don't need. But that's very cool. So it's very easy. And that's my pick for today. Oliver, do you have any picks? Uh, yeah, I do. I have a couple. My sort of first pick was actually a blog post by Ole Bergman. Uh, around Swift and uh, instance methods are curried functions in Swift. And it's something that's mentioned in the Swift book, um, but kind of glossed over and, and Ole sort of discusses them in more detail and links to a bunch of other articles, which are uh, sort of really interesting. And on a uh, totally sort of un-iOS related note, I'm, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I came from a game development background and I 
I still play games. <laughs> and uh, I've been playing Destiny on my PlayStation 4. Um, the beta came out uh, recently for a weekend or so, and uh, that's a lot of fun. It sort of scratches your MMO plus shooter plus loot sort of game like Diablo. So it's, a, it's certainly one to look out for in September when it comes out. And, and to follow up on your mocking and uh, testing in Swift, there's a great article uh, written by one of the senior engineers at REA Group in Australia here, uh, where I'm working at the moment. Uh, not related to iOS, but uh, more to do with Scala and the Java side of things. And, um, but it's a sort of like, don't use mocks in your unit tests. And he's just, uh, discussing techniques to avoid mocking and stubbing. And it sort of relates... I think quite closely to Swift because Swift is quite similar to Scala. So yeah, using techniques built into that language to to avoid uh, having to mock anything. So may maybe mocks uh, and Swift not mixing together well are uh, maybe it's a good thing we can just stop using mocking. Yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction. I know Matt Thompson and his hipster says you know the built-in tools are going to be pretty good for a lot of the cases we're we're used to going forward. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, great. This has been a great episode. I'm looking forward to checking out Reveal. So thanks for being on the show, Oliver, and we'll talk to you guys all next week. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at ifreakshow.com slash forum. 